0: Hey, y'all, Cable here in this week's podcast brought to you by PhoneScope, the way to get that long-range footage you've always wanted. Yeah, it's so easy. All you do is attach the PhoneScope to your phone and then attach that to your spotting scope or binos. And now you're videoing what you're viewing through your optic with your cell phone camera. It's that easy. And so it's perfect for long-range scouting as well as if you're taking a shot at distance uh, like I was doing in Africa. You can actually see that vapor trail of the bullet and, you know, that way you can tell where you hit the animal, if it's a good shot, if you hit him high, back, whatever. I uh, hope you recover that animal, hopefully. And, uh, and it's really just a cool content to share with your friends and family. Check it out. It's the Phone Scope, and you'll save 10% off of your purchase if you use the promo code Lone Star. That's Lone Star when you order at PhoneScope.com. <laughs>
1: I hear lady spitting at the knickerjacks, businessman with a needle and a spoon. Coyote chewin' on a cigarette, pack of young boys going howling at the moon. Head darn ass on the Even for the next time, less my sense catches up with me. Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet
0: beautiful Texas and beyond. Colt Wall sleeping on the blacktop by request. Kicking things off for us here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors as well. Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I tell you what, if y'all are as amped up as me, uh, I'm having a hard time sleeping at night, friends. Dove season kicks off this week. Can you freaking believe it? Hunting season is here September 1st, baby. And I know a lot of folks, uh, especially out west, have been enjoying uh, archery seasons already for mule deer, pronghorn, even some elk. But for the rest of us, September 1 might as well be a holiday. I'm taking my kids out of school. They're only four, two, and two. Uh, But they will be sitting in the Dove Patch with me come Friday morning. So can't wait. And I'm also equally as excited about today's broadcast. It's going to be a good one. I guarantee you that. We've got lots to get into. So you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire here. Uh, Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of Granddaddy's beat-up old thermos, the one he passed down to you, and the one that still has mud caked on it from four duck seasons ago. Because we are ready to rock and roll. So off the top, all you duck hunters, waterfowlers, and conservationists, get ready because we're going to examine the uh, waterfowl survey count that was just released by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And we'll do that with Ducks Unlimited's chief scientist, Tom Mormon. Uh, We've got the fifth largest projected fall flight ever, Uh, so that's nice. But there were some alarming trends in this survey, uh, mallards down 10%. Green-winged teal dropping rapidly as well. Wigeon and scop uh, numbers in decline. Oh, uh, that's kind of concerning. There are also other species that did quite well. Uh, gadwall up significantly again. Uh, pintail on the increase too. So, uh, As well as blue-winged teal and, and some others. And then we'll take an in-depth look at wood ducks. Uh, also ring necks which make up a large part uh, for better or worse but make up a large part of uh, many texas hunters uh, straps so uh, interesting stuff coming up with tom Uh, then we will uh, we'll stay on the conservation path by checking in with costa sunglasses uh, coastal community manager todd barker Uh, there's it's not a new thing by any stretch of the imagination but the shark fin trade has, I mean, it's at an all-time high. It's bad, bad news for these apex predators of the deep. And, folks, uh, these these sharks that are illegally netted or, or caught and then sold for their fins, uh, for shark fin soup, to Asia, uh, people don't care. They don't discriminate about what's legal or illegal or size or limits or any of that type of uh, stuff that uh, a normal sportsman or woman would adhere to when it comes to regulations. Now, They catch and kill indiscriminately up to 100 million sharks on the conservative side. That's what scientists estimate. 100 million sharks a year. Um, that's not sustainable. So we're going to dive into that topic with uh, Costas, Todd Barker, and, uh, and also take a look at their partnership with OCEARCH, a nonprofit organization which is solely dedicated to Shark conservation and their campaign. Don't fear the fin, fear the world without them. Uh, so, interesting stuff coming up um, on that front here in just a bit. And then we'll spend a couple segments live at the Pulsar headquarters in Mansfield. Well, it's not live, I taped it, but we went to Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging headquarters in Mansfield, Texas earlier this week. Sat down and spent a couple segments. With James Sellers, the president of Pulsar, Uh, talked about a couple new units that just hit the market in the Pulsar Trail lineup, the Helion Monocular, also the Core uh, Thermal uh, Detachable Rifle Scope as well. So uh, interesting stuff. And, And we'll specifically talk a little bit about the application of monoculars for scouting. Is it legal? Is it ethical? Should you be doing it? And uh, is it the wave of the future? I mean, technology is always changing. And we evolve as hunters a lot of times based on the available technology. I mean, hell, look, all of us have some kind of GPS unit or a cell phone that prevents us from getting lost. Gone are the days of using a traditional compass, right? Um, A lot of people don't even carry a, a physical copy of a map anymore. So... Um, things change. I don't know if it makes it better or worse, but we'll talk about that. So there you have it. Uh, that's, what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. I'm excited. Hope y'all are as well. A couple other things to mention the, uh, Texas trophy hunter extravaganza in Corpus Christi, of course, postponed due to hurricane Harvey. And so our uh, thoughts and prayers go out to all of our friends and, and fishing guides, uh, along the Texas coast and entire Gulf coast region. Bad stuff there, so uh, we'll keep them in our thoughts this week. And moving forward, um, let's do a quick giveaway. I've got a uh, Bison Coolers camo cap uh, sticker and bottle opener. Third person to text in the word. Let's do shark. Let's give those apex predators of the deep their props this morning. Third person to text in the word shark to two one four You'll win the Bison Coolers giveaway. And also, I think we're going to be giving away a bison cooler itself, uh, an entire cooler, (laughs) uh, for our September photo of the month contest. So you'll want to send in your best hunting, fishing, or outdoor photo to Show at gmail.com or get it to us on one of our social media outlets as well, Facebook or Instagram, and you could have a chance to win a bison cooler. And then our 12 monthly winners... For 2017, we'll square off at the end of the year for a chance to win our grand prize Axis Deer or Black Buck trophy hunt down at Coons Canyon Ranch. Let's take a break. Up next, we'll visit with Ducks Unlimited's chief scientist, Tom Mormon. It's everything you want to know about duck trends and breeding populations. And what that means for this season's fall flight, that's next, right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
2: you know she wants
0: Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. <coughs>
2: There's a river tumbling down the mountainside I can feel the north wind blow Through the trees and
1: over to the other side Carry me down to the valley below And I'm on the road Bound for
3: home
0: Idaho's the name of that one there from Reckless Kelly Bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show Powered by Dallas Safari Club I'm your host Cable Smith Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, Thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. As we are about to get into a little waterfowl discussion, Uh, some ducks did better than others according to the latest U.S. Fish and Wildlife Survey as far as their uh, spring nesting success is concerned. And Obviously, those numbers translate into what you can expect to see from the duck blind this fall. Uh, So, we'll take a look at those numbers. Plus, how does the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service come up with this data? Um, We'll examine all that with Ducks Unlimited Chief Scientist Tom Mormon here momentarily. But first, this segment of the program brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. We'd love to have you get plugged in with this group of folks who are passionate about conservation, education, and hunters' rights. For more information, check us out at biggame.org. All righty. Uh, well, let's go ahead and, uh, and talk some ducks. What do you all say? And a little bit about myself for anyone who might be new to the show or uh, just t- didn't really know my background as a hunter. It's duck hunting that, that really got me hooked. Uh, the first solo duck hunt I ever went on with my dog. A pair of green wing teal drakes come in. They both end up belly up as that 870 rang out. And uh, old Maverick, uh, God bless his soul, I remember seeing his breath flare out of his nostrils on that cold December morning. I can still smell the gunpowder on my fingers. Um, And that's where I was hooked and and never looked back. But a waterfowling will always hold a special place in my heart and my life. Uh, And so I know it does for many of y'all as well. Without further ado, let's go ahead and bring on our first guest, DU's chief scientist, Tom Mormon. Thanks for being here, brother.
1: Thanks, Cable. Glad to be here, man.
0: Absolutely, it's a pleasure. Uh, so, first of all, um, before we talk duck numbers here this morning, um, talk about your job responsibilities as the chief scientist for Ducks Unlimited.
1: Okay, uh, chief scientist for DU really is a position that ensures. Uh, Oh, DU has always been science-based. Everything we do is based on the best available science and so the chief scientist is responsible for making sure that continues. I do that through working with a bunch of uh, colleagues. Uh, each of our regional offices in the United States therefore has science staff and then I also work internationally with our colleagues in Duxon Limited Canada and also south of the border with our colleagues in Ducks Limited de Mexico or DuMac mm-hmm. and collectively we all uh make sure that we're doing the right things in the right places making the best investments on behalf of the birds uh getting the, you know the maximum return on investment uh all those kinds of things uh, I also work with uh you know lots of universities and other partners to do uh and coordinate a lot of research to make sure, again, that we're asking the right questions, focused on the right issues, and trying not to get any surprises in the sense of what we're doing out on landscapes to do conservation for these birds.
0: Okay, right, right. Well, so what are you typically doing this time of year?
1: Well, um, as it turns out, this time of year, I am, you know, this gets to be a time of year where we're pretty busy with lots of meetings, and about every five years or so, we update Ducks and Lemonids International Conservation Plan, and this happens to be the year that we're doing that, Mm -hmm. so we're about, uh, I'd say, midway, maybe through that process. Uh, We hope to have that done by next spring. And basically, what well, that involves is bringing and making sure that we're reviewing and bringing forward all the new information and folding that into our conservation plan that ultimately drives what we do in our highest priority conservation regions, you know, the prairies, western boreal forest for breeding birds, uh, Central Valley, California, Lower Mississippi Valley, and Gulf Coast for wintering birds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just building that foundation and keeping our uh you know, our information current and making sure again that we're focused on the right things.
0: Okay, well, you know, Tom, a lot of uh, a lot of the time, and I sometimes feel like we beat our listeners over the head with this uh, statement, but it, it's absolutely true. And when it comes to big game, we always talk about how hunting is conservation, but it's the same thing with ducks. Uh, I mean, I, I know at its core, um, it's the sportsmen that are. Supporting Ducks Unlimited, going to the banquets, volunteering their time, their energy, their money. Um, And it's because we all share that passion. We love to duck hunt. We love to get out there in the blind with the dog, with our buddies, and watch the sun come up. And, you know, if we shoot some ducks, that's gravy. It doesn't really matter the species. At the end of the day, whatever the hunting, it always goes back to conservation.
1: Absolutely. Uh, You know, Ducks Unlimited is here because of hunters. Uh, Waterfowl conservation as an enterprise is only successful because of hunters. You know, each hunter has a lot of passion for the resource, but they automatically give back when they buy a duck stamp, buy a hunting license, buy shotgun shells, buy guns. All those things generate funding for conservation of waterfowl. And of course, supporting Ducks Unlimited does the same thing. And you're right, you know, the people that work for DU to a person share that passion. It is a highly motivated group of folks to to leave the place a little better than we found it. And in terms of waterfowl, that means, that, you know, working to sustain habitat conditions that produce waterfowl indefinitely so that, you know, maybe 100 years from now, Somebody's on a, it won't be probably you and me, but somebody's on a radio interview having the same discussion. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's really, really important. And i tell you, we see some trends in hunters, uh, hunter numbers that are declining. So I would just encourage listeners to take somebody hunting. Take somebody maybe that's never been exposed to hunting or take a kid hunting and develop that next uh, supporter for conservation. mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, Delta Waterfowl had a great uh, piece on there in one of their recent magazines. It was about the declining number of hunters, and we covered that on the show. And a lot of our listeners were like, "That's baloney." There's or, or or social media followers said, "There's no way. I see more people at the boat ramp right now than I ever have. There's no way that numbers are declining." I'm like, "These are based off of duck stamp sales. You know, that's where we yep. get the number. It's it's not or it's somebody's opinion. Our 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 ranks are declining. So going back to what you said." Uh, challenge everyone out there. It can be a college buddy of yours that's never gone duck hunting. Or, like you said, take a kid. Uh, but challenge, challenge everyone listening to take somebody that's never sat a duck blind out there this year. Don't worry about them stealing your spot. At the end of the day, um, the important thing is we need more hunters in the field. So um, Absolutely. Uh, well, what I really want to talk about today, Tom, is the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, they just released their... 2017 trends in duck breeding um, report for the layman it's just the waterfowl survey that comes out this time every year
1: what constitutes the survey area okay well there's a traditional survey area that basically covers a lot of geography actually mm-hmm. almost all of the prairie pothole region of so the northern Great Plains would include uh, transects over states like Minnesota uh, South Dakota North Dakota, Montana, and maybe a couple others. And then you move up into Canada and you got uh, transects over Manitoba, Ontario, uh, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and then some even up into the Western boreal Forest of those provinces and then on up into Alaska. So the traditional survey area is pretty expansive and covers basically all of the most important breeding areas for waterfowl production on the continent. And there's also an eastern survey area that's a little bit newer. And so if some of your listeners or hunters are maybe in the northeast or Great Lakes states, there's a survey there as well. Mm -hmm. But the one we're talking about today really focuses on, you know, sort of the 10 species that are most harvested and most important to hunters that are coming out of that really traditional, people sometimes call it the duck factory. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the boreal
1: forest is not part of that. It is, you know, we call it the other duck factory. Um, it is surveyed not quite as intensively. I mean, that's like for uh, Widgeon and and uh, Bluebells and a bunch of other that's ducks. Right. End up. That's right. That's uh, right. A lot of Widgeon, a lot of Sculp. Um, you know, if you got the sea duck hunters out there, most of the Scoters are grown there, produced there. So that kind of an area, but it's, you know, it has a low density of all the species almost, mm-hmm. and but. Because it's so vast, it actually can produce a lot of ducks. And the habitat is, is pretty reliably consistent. So even if the prairies go into a drought, the western boreal is still going to turn out some birds. Mm. And that's a good thing, right? Because if it was not there, then we go in a drought and things get pretty bad pretty fast. Right. But uh, but that's not the case this year. So Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, uh, some species that are not listed on here, wood ducks, ringnecks, ruddy ducks. And I really don't know Jack diddly squat about ruddy ducks i think i've shot a couple in my life we just don't see them very often so i don't know anything about ruddy ducks to be honest with you uh wood ducks and ring however they make up a, a nice part of our bag here in texas ringnecks have probably saved more hunts for north texas duck hunters than any other duck out there yeah and they get a bad rap people call them black jacks or tank turds or whatever uh but they're a sporty little duck and uh, i've certainly enjoyed harvesting it quite a few of them over the years and the dog doesn't discriminate; she doesn't care. So, no. <laughs> uh, what's but what is uh, what's going on with ringnecks? Why are they not a part of that? And I imagine wood ducks are not a part because they just breed. I mean, we have them breeding in Texas, so I imagine it's just yeah. too hard to count them.
1: Yeah. So uh, ringnecks are in the eastern survey area because they're more abundant to the east mm-hmm. in uh, production, but they are a population that over recent years has expanded and increased. And they are actually uh, surveyed, and so we know a little bit about them. They're a little harder to survey because of where they breed over that sort of boreal kind of habitat, so they're dispersed far and wide. But uh, we are seeing a bit of a decline here of late, and people got their eye on that. I wouldn't uh, say it's to the point where any action is required or anything like that, but it's something to keep an eye on, You know, and, and it may well reverse itself. You on know, you the renexing. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know we see we see annual or sometimes you know multiple years of fluctuation in some bird populations. It only becomes an issue when we see a long-term declining trend, such as we do for scot, for example. Mm-hmm. Then we got to figure out you know what's going on with that bird and what, if any, uh, implications might there be. In our case, for conservation of habitat, or in the case of Fish and Wildlife Service and the state agencies for regulatory options, you know, do they need to lower the bag limit, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Not there yet on ringnecks, and not definitely not time to panic, but uh, you know, the waterfall science community's kind of got their eye on them. Wood ducks are another matter entirely. Um, They are really, really hard for us to survey, as you might guess, given how they really like to live in forested wetlands. Um, You really can't survey them. There are some indices to their abundance that are used to sort of guide the process a bit. Uh, Things like the uh, Christmas bird count data and and more and more there's a, uh, it's called eBird, but bird watchers turn in lots of uh, Mm. lists on a daily basis. And so we get a sense of abundance and distribution of lots of birds. But
0: widespread distribution because uh, we were doing a thermal hog hunt here probably about a month ago. Yeah, and come over this um, you know, uh, basically a tank but right on the edge of a of a thick wooded area and it scared the crap out of me because some ducks ducks just flushed out of the, the yeah. brush there on the side of the bank and into the pond and
1: they were wood ducks
0: and it was yep. a mama and you know a bunch of ducklings yeah uh,
1: but that's so we guarantee so. yeah we generally think wood ducks are doing pretty well um you know the reason that they're managed the way they are with a uh, i think it's three birds right now. I don't get to shoot them very often, but I think it's mm-hmm. a three bird limit on woodies at the moment uh just really we have to manage conservatively when we really can't get a good index to the population sure I mean, you can't do a you can't fly over them in an airplane on a standardized survey and get a good count of wood ducks right, so right. That's kinda needs of, a lot of banding and things like that to to get a better sense of them.
0: Well let's let's talk about some of the other movers. Uh Mallard's this is the first time I remember seeing the waterfowl survey in recent years and seeing a, a negative by greenheads and they're down eleven percent from last year's count.
1: Uh so it yep. was a little surprising. Yeah, there were a handful of species that show us a little decline this year and again I wouldn't personally take that as the sky has fallen kind of thing at all. We get annual variation and a 10% dip in a population that is at record highs. I mean, at some point, you know, you, you reach a point in a population of any wild animal that it really is going to be hard for it to go much higher than the habitat will bear. I don't know if we're there with mallards, but a 10% dip doesn't concern me a lot. Uh, you know, they're still, what, 30 or 35% above the long-term average. Yeah. So, the population as a whole is doing really well, and you sort of got to, you know, as a hunter, you sort of ask yourself, well, would I really notice a 10% dip in the mallard population if I'm out there during Probably hunting not. season? Yeah. Probably not. You know, you're going to notice that if the weather doesn't cooperate and it stays really warm and mallards don't get pushed down to southern latitudes. that you will notice.
0: We do see that. <laughs> yeah, we
1: do see that. I saw that in spades last year, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, if we get the weather, then I don't think it'll be something that a hunter will notice. And at least this year, it certainly has not affected the uh, bag limits or anything like that. So, well, as
0: long as he keeps sending his good buddy the Gadwall down here, it's all right. Because uh, that's right. They uh, over the last few years, their numbers have just kept creeping up. They're 111 percent above their long-term average, up 13 percent from last year. and
2: I don't know what's going on with
0: the gray ducks, man, but they just, uh, they keep coming to Texas in droves and we welcome them with open arms.
1: Yeah, they're a fascinating bird because of their, you know, their relative abundance and their population trajectory over time. They're at, you know, like a hundred percent of their long-term average, which is really, really cool. If we could figure out exactly why they're being so successful and get the other birds to cooperate along that line, that'd be really a cool thing. But I'm with you on that deal. Uh Gadwald saved the day for me many, <laughs> yeah. many times.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Uh so they're up. Uh blue winged teal up eighteen percent. Uh smiling mallards. I don't know why shovelers get such a bad rap. Uh I, I don't think, either. They're a beautiful bird when they're plumed out. Uh, they they're are. up ten percent. Um, but uh Widgeon and Scop, those are the new you, you hit on Scop earlier. Uh those two continue to show decline. Uh, which i know is is alarming we don't have to go into detail on that because honestly we don't really my understanding is under we don't really know what's going on with them Um, yeah a lot
1: of people are looking at scoff in particular and i think we'll we'll dial into to an answer if there's a single answer often there's not often it's multiple factors um you know we got some some interesting things that are being found out there's a now an introduced parasite that they're picking up when they feed on uh, clams up in the upper Mississippi River staging areas, that could be a contributing factor. Um, Just lots of things, and so it's being studied really, really hard by a lot of really, really smart scientists, and I feel like, you know, we may well know at some point what the causative factors of their decline have been then the question will be well what if anything can we do about it and right. you know that's always the sort of the next step mm-hmm. so we'll see where that takes us
0: yeah and i guess
1: wigeon kind of nest in that same area and so they're... they do yeah you know and they're down this year again you get this annual dip um, but keeping in mind that they're also still above their long term average mm-hmm. and so as a population as a whole I'd, you know we'd say they're probably in pretty good shape but again it just it's the reason, you know, we do this. The survey's been going on since 1957, and so we've got this really long body of information on which to to sort of manage the birds, but also to understand the nature of long-term population trends and annual variation. And if we get one that's really sliding over the long-term, you know, that's the time that we all sort of dial in and say, okay, what's going on here? We better, better figure this one out fast.
0: Mm-hmm. No doubt. Well, um, one bright spot on here
1: is and there are others too but one that
0: stands out is the pintail because we saw sprigs the bag limit go down to one bird uh, across the entire continent for this coming season but now we're looking at this uh the survey and they're up 11 percent from last year so I know that it was only like 100 maybe 150,000 birds that uh, on that original count when the number was uh you know when they decided to drop the number to one so maybe next year we'll be back up to 2. Who knows?
1: It'll be close. Um you know there was a bit of a, uh, an increase this year which is a good thing. Um as a whole the population still you know maybe 25% below their long-term average. Mm-hmm. Um there's some indication that maybe there's sort of a new population you know, stability point that might be lower. Um The bird had declined, I think, since about 2011, we've seen the trajectory slipping on us a little bit. So it's good to see him bounce up a little bit this year. And like I say, we'll see what that translates into in terms of regulations for next year. Hmm.
0: Well, across the board, like I said earlier, this is the fifth highest uh, survey on record. Uh, Should be a good season. I mean, we've still got, uh, just in this survey, over 47 million ducks, I think it was the count. So... Yeah, it was. Uh,
1: it, populations are in good shape. Numbers being what they are, I'd expect this to be a pretty good year. Awesome. Just need need some weather to cooperate.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the name of the game. And we've had uh, in Texas, this is the most mild summer that uh, I can remember. I mean, I, yeah. four years ago, five years ago, we had like sixty days in a row of a hundred degree temperatures. I think we've hit a hundred one time. So
1: yeah. So it's, uh,
0: it's been pretty mild. Hopefully, the uh, the winter will follow suit and uh, temperatures will stay cold and We'll push those mallards down here.
1: We always can hope.
0: <laughs> All right, Life well, hey, Tom, uh, always great visiting with you, man. Thanks for your time, and you bet. Uh, I look forward to our next conversation. All right, Cable, thanks for having me. Ducks Unlimited's chief scientist, Tom Mormon, uh, always great visiting with Tom. Uh, that segment of the broadcast, by the way, brought to you by the brand new Drive Over Chalk. Y'all been hearing me talk about the DOC for months now, and they were absolutely just flying out of the exhibit hall uh, at the Texas Trophy Hunter Extravaganza. People just need to see them. But if you haul an ATV, four-wheeler, golf cart, heck, even a Jeep, you need to check out the drive-over truck. You simply install it right there on your flatbed trailer, and then you drive over, and your investment is secure. If you ordered today, tell them you heard about them right here on our show uh, you'll get free shipping. So use the promo code CABLE or LONE STAR when you check out at uh, driveoverchalk.com. All right, uh, let's take a break. Up next, we'll keep the conservation discussion rolling by checking in with Todd Barker. He is the Coastal Community Manager for Coast to Sunglasses. And we'll head into the Blue Abyss and get into a little shark conversation next, right here on the Lone Star
2: Updoor Show. I drank whiskey and I've smoked weed. Been hopelessly addicted to
1: the pains surrounding me.
0: Visit Dallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here
3: reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was
4: designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets
0: to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com
2: Hey
4: everybody, it's John Dudley from Knock On TV and you're
2: listening
1: to The Lone Star Outdoor Show.
2: For the south coast of Texas That's a thin slice of life It's salty and
1: hard It is stern as a knife Where the wind is There's little Guy Clark, south
0: coast of Texas, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. And uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to the south coast of Texas and the entire Gulf Coast region uh, with all of the uh, incredibly horrendous weather uh, regarding Hurricane Harvey. Uh, so we're keeping them in our thoughts today. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to be talking outdoors with you. Uh, we're going to talk some, sharks, um, some shark conservation, actually, coming up here in uh, a minute. But first, this segment of the show brought to you by two Texas traditions, Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, and Rudy's True Texas Style Barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner after the hunt, anytime, that's right. Uh, maybe just got off the lake. Either way, Rudy's true Texas style barbecue. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and bring on Todd Barker. He is the coastal community manager for Costa Sunglasses, a longtime supporter of our show. Uh, Todd, thanks for being here, man.
4: Thanks. Uh, really appreciate inviting me. Absolutely, absolutely. Well,
0: you know, our show is a, a big fan of of Costa Sunglasses, um, and been involved with Costa Del Mar for like probably six or seven years now um, and i'm I'm really pleased when I see the conservation initiative that you know Costa is so passionate about so talk a little bit about your job responsibilities I know you're very involved with the uh, o search um, partnership that Costa has developed
4: over the last decade or so yeah definitely um so my job over here um, I'm the the coastal community manager. So I help with uh, various marketing initiatives um, uh, targeting more of our uh, coastal consumers here at Costa. And OSearch is really our main partnership um, with, uh, you know, on the, on the business side on coastal. And, you know, you know OSearch is, is their own organization, but we've been a partner with them uh, since they started over 11 years ago. Uh, Chris Fisher, the, the founder of O and the expedition leader um, has been a friend of ours uh, for for probably 20 years at least. So he had that show, um, Offshore Adventures, mm-hmm. on uh, ESPN Outdoors uh, a long time ago that we were a sponsor of. And when uh, you know when Offshore Adventures um, you know went away and ESPN Outdoors uh, stopped filming or producing those uh, those shows, you know Chris founded O Search uh, you know for a need to generate data on sharks and. Um, and kind of fill that gap and you know we jumped right on with Chris and supported his mission uh you know and his new mission um for you know to try to help uh help sharks and uh and really kind of you know help uh, other folks you know understand their importance for uh for the oceans
0: uh huh okay yeah so o search is a 5 1 c3 so non-profit uh organization yes. and uh now so their whole mission is solely well, I mean, basically, their passion is sharks. Uh,
4: is that Definitely, right? I mean, uh, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, sharks are, you know, an apex predator and you know crucial for for healthy oceans. Absolutely. I mean, you can't have, you know, you can't have a healthy ocean without healthy shark populations. It's, you know, they're the lions of the sea, or you know, they mm. they're they're crucial. And if sharks, um, you know go away or, uh, you know, leave the oceans in any, uh, major numbers, uh, and population, you know, the, the subspecies, the sub predators explode. And then the bait fish, you know, get eaten up by the sub predators and the whole just ecosystem and food chain goes out of whack. And, you know, so it kind of, you know, search really, you know, under started understanding this when they were, um you know, down fishing in Central America, you know, Costa Rica and Panama and a lot of these Central American countries have been heavily involved in the shark finning trade for a long time. And they were down there filming offshore adventures and they sort of became uh, aware of the issues down there. And, you know, globally, uh, sharks are, are really in trouble. There's there's some healthy shark populations in the, in the United States, which I think in a lot of ways is why we have such healthy fisheries here or we have great fisheries. Um, but, you know, globally sharks, uh, sharks are in trouble. And, you know, there's, there's been a data deficit in shark science and, you know, how it's a pretty hard thing to do to put, you know, capture a 2000 pound great white shark and, you know, be able to conduct scientific experiences uh, or experience experiments on them and, and not kill them. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of a tough, it's a tough thing to do. And that's so, what i was going to say
0: it, is people can catch them, but releasing them alive is very difficult and I, and that's even like a species to species thing uh like hammerheads for example fight like hell and for everything i know about them it's very rare to release you know a, a hammerhead alive that's of any significant size
4: yeah exactly and and, and you know and that's kind of really what search is in a lot of ways is you know they're fishermen they're you know combining their their practical knowledge of of the ocean and fishing and and you know, those techniques and, uh, and skills. And then they're bringing in the academics and the scientists on um, on expedition to have access to these, you know, uh, large fish that they would never have access to otherwise. I mean, scientists are great at science, but they're not the best fishermen in the world and vice versa. So they really combine the, the practical and the academic and, um, and and allow these folks to collaborate on the ship and, um, and conduct as many uh, studies as possible on these large sharks at one time and then release them. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I'll say
0: this, there's a, the sport of shark fishing, I think is only gaining in popularity. I mean, it's a, it's a rough crowd of some interesting people. <laughs> I've, Certainly. Uh, I've gone down to the Texas coast and spent a weekend with them before. And, you know, we, and I've caught smaller sharks just while out bay fishing, but I mean, that's a, a dedicated group, but I will say their mindset for the most part, I mean, there are guys who've, post pictures of huge dead sharks that they've killed and seem to be really proud of it but for the most part these guys want to tag and release these fish and uh you know they want to catch a giant but they take more pride in putting that fish back into the ocean alive uh, than they ever would killing it and i think that uh it's nice to see that mindset and then but you do have uh you know you do have shark fishing tournaments you have to bring the fish in so it's dead um to weigh it and and that's unfortunate but uh by and large, I think our population, at least in the Gulf Coast area, our shark populations, and this is just from what I've uh, come to understand from our Texas Parks and Wildlife Coastal Fisheries Director, is uh, that they're doing pretty good, and maybe that's because we're a little more civilized and we don't, you know, we don't participate in the shark fin trade. Um, but globally, you know, it's kind of alarming when you say the guys from O'Search went down to the the Caribbean and and uh you see these populations being decimated now and are those fins sold to asia is that where the the market really is
4: yeah it's uh really uh china and japan are are the largest consumers uh are really the only consumers of of you know the shark fin trade and it's and it's really shark fin soup and you know and like you said you know it, you know scientists and and a lot of uh folks here in the Gulf are, are seeing a uh, large amount of sharks around in healthy populations, and I think that that's, you know, fair, fairly accurate. Um, you know, there's been, like you said, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, practices and in, in, in ethics and catch and release on sharks in, in the United States, and um, a lot of shark species for the last 20 years have been uh, protected in the United States, so we're starting to see, you know, that rebound, that rebound here, and, uh, and and that's a good thing to see, but, you um, you know a conservative estimate from scientists is that 100 million sharks are killed every year
0: Goodness um, gracious.
4: and yeah and primarily it's asia and central america on the pacific side and you know third world countries and remote areas where this stuff's occurring i was uh, i saw uh, you know news link um, on the internet last week there was like uh, hundreds of thousands of sharks found just dead in, uh, in in a cooler in a in a ship fishing uh, some illegal protected uh, fishing grounds off the coast of Panama. There's some uh, there's some reef systems out there, and there was a you know commercial fishing organization illegally fishing there and just taking you know all the sharks they can get. And it's not just large sharks. I mean, they're taking small sharks. They're taking anything that comes uh, comes on the line. Hmm. Um, hmm. So, but but yeah, I mean it's it, it's a it's an alarming problem, and you know it's a, it's a problem that I think you know uh, a lot of people maybe don't really. Know about and uh, and certainly something that's important to uh, you know raise awareness about. But you know, really, really, what Osearch is trying to do is you know their their key focus right now is the the North Atlantic white shark. Um, you know, the great white sharks are are federally protected. They're obviously like kind of the most well known shark mm-hmm. uh, in the ocean, uh, but they're also one of the ones that we know the least about. Just because you know, like talked earlier about the size of the sharks and how it's hard to to study them and and work with them um but they don't know at least in the atlantic ocean they don't know where they breed um they are we're fairly confident they know where they uh give birth which is uh, at least one of the sites which is off the coast of uh of long island up in new york but um you know osearch is you know they, they have the shark tracker online which is you know, super interesting to check out. If you, I'm assuming you've probably looked at it, but oh, yeah. you know, you can see where these sharks are are swimming all and all around the uh, the the East Coast of the United States, and every now I and prefer then the not whites. to look at it before I go to the beach. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, yeah, they, uh, it, it's a little crazy how close they get, and there's some in, the great whites tick around in the Gulf sometimes as well, and uh, I'm sure there's more in the Gulf than we probably know. But uh, you know, they they. You know, they're, they're, they're putting these trackers on, on these sharks and trying to map out where they're going and, and looking for correlations between kind of when there's a large mature male and a large mature female or multiples in certain areas at certain times of the year. That helps generate data to uh, kind of figure out their, their life cycle and, and, and protect those locations.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let me ask you this How does COSTA support the initiative? Uh, obviously, I mean, y'all are partners, but at the end of the day, uh, there has to be some kind of financial backing by Costa to make that worthwhile for O-Search. So, um, uh, how do, how do we support their, their mission?
4: Yeah, well, the, the main way to support o right now and how Costa, uh, has brought in the partnership, uh, recently is through our, our O-Search collection sunglasses. So, um, we have, uh, we launched it this summer and we have, uh, 15, uh, different various sunglass skews, um that all benefit o in their mission to protect sharks. And they, uh, you know, these sunglasses help fund future expeditions. And, um, you know, that's really uh, one of the main ways that, that someone can help support o through Costa. And, you know, we give uh, a very generous uh, portion of proceeds from the sales of, uh, of these sunglasses and also our hats and apparel uh, that have o on them back to o and, and And on top of that, we also um you know sponsored the uh sponsor the ship and the crew and they create a lot of awesome uh content and videos I, i'm a, you know i definitely oh, yeah. encourage you to check out their facebook page but all of our you know all of our sunglasses and shirts and a lot of that's incorporated into their um you know into their videos and content so that's very valuable for us as well
0: yeah okay right on right on and folks can find that uh you know the Search um collection right there at Um Well, Todd, very, very interesting stuff. You know, we could probably go into more detail, but uh, (laughs) we could talk sharks all day. And it's fun to to discuss sharks because, like we said, they're they're really these uh, mysterious creatures of of the deep, you know, uh, that we're still trying and trying, thank goodness for organizations like OCEARCH, trying to collect data on these species that are still relatively
4: unknown. Yeah, definitely. It's it's super interesting stuff and and I think really important for the health of the oceans and and future generations uh you know, of fishermen and and beachgoers and and uh and other folks. So, um yeah, it was uh, it was really great talking to you and thank you for inviting me on. Yeah. Well, hey, let me
0: ask you one more question, Todd. Have you oh, for sure. gone cage diving with the the great whites, whites off the coast of uh, South Africa? So that's certainly on the bucket oh, list. Oh, me so too.
4: <laughs> I'd love to, I'd love to. Like that is uh it's funny, I was telling someone that the other day.
0: My like wife thinks I'm insane. They were like
4: Yeah, so it's my <laughs> girlfriend as well. She was like, I have no interest in doing that ev ever, ever. But uh yeah. yeah, I have actually been on a a couple O search expeditions which is really cool. I was actually out there um in Montauk uh last week. They uh they're they're right now up working uh off in Montauk, uh trying to catch and tag uh, juvenile white sharks because uh-huh. they're you know they they identified uh, a birthing site you know last year and they they have they can they've caught uh, I don't know the exact numbers yet they're catching them almost every day so it's changing ever quickly but I think they've caught uh, they've caught around ten uh, juvenile great white sharks in the last few weeks I was up there last week actually and they caught two while on the ship which was awesome really cool yeah. to see. Uh, see them in action and watch the lift go down and watch the scientists uh, get to work and uh, and kind of get to see them up close. It's funny, they're, they're really small sharks. They're only about 50 to 100 pounds and four or five feet long, but they, uh, they have the all the features and colorations and everything just like the giant ones. They're huh. just little mini packages of them.
1: <laughs> very cool. Very
0: cool. Well, awesome stuff, man. Thanks again for jumping on with us. I so certainly appreciate it. You're very it. welcome, Cable. All right. Take have care. Have a great day. There he goes, Coast uh, Sunglasses Coastal Community Manager, Todd Barker. Uh, Fascinating stuff there. I've never had shark fin soup. It doesn't sound very appealing, to be honest with you, and I'll try anything at least once. Uh, But, see, it's an epidemic. And it's it's much like the rhino horn. You know, it's Eastern medicine, uh, Eastern culture that we're waging a war against. And they really don't have a conservation-minded outlook at all, uh, to be honest with you. And it's it's alarming. I mean, you see the incredible population of China, uh, the amount of folks crammed on the small island of Japan. Um, they're doing a lot of damage, and and uh, and I'm all for shark fishing tournaments. By the way, if you want to catch and kill a shark, that is your right as an angler. Uh, that, by and large, though, is not affecting the global population of these predators from the deep. So uh, anyway, interesting stuff there. Check out the O-Search collection to uh, support Costa's initiative there for shark research and conservation. That segment of the program brought to you by Iota Outdoors. Uh, If you're looking for a new rifle stock before you head into the backcountry this fall, check out the Crux. It's what I've got on my Horizon 7 mag It weighs in at 27 ounces, perfect for the backcountry hunter when every ounce counts. And you can find it right there at iotaoutdoors.com. Let's take a break. Um, Up next, we'll be joined by James Sellers. He is the president of Pulsar North America, and we're going to take a look at some of the latest and greatest Thermal imaging technology. So, if you like to hunt hogs or coyotes or whatever else under the cover of darkness, stay tuned right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
3: Galveston, oh Galveston, I still hear your sea waves crashing. Do you have a
0: hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution the system hog trap
3: Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motorcars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. And
0: Pride right of El Paso, Texas, the Dirty River Boys bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you guys and gals for being here. It's an absolute treat to be able to talk all things hunting and fishing with you guys and gals week in and week out. Coming up on almost eight years now. Can y'all believe that? It's been a hell of a ride and uh, we're just getting started. Uh, we've got a couple Cool topic to get into here in just a second concerning thermal imaging technology and what exactly that means for the hunter or outdoorsman out there. And it's not just for killing hogs and coyotes. There's a bunch of other applications that are becoming more and more popular, which we're going to dive into in just a second with James Sellers, president of uh, Pulsar North America and Cellmark. But first, this segment of the show is brought to you by All Seasons Feeders. I want you to check out the 600-pound stand-in fill. They've also got a 300-pound stand-in fill. But if you're tired of hauling ladders or backing your truck up next to the feeder, hey, All Seasons has the solution. Uh, No more. You don't have to do that stuff, guys. You just stand there and dump that yellow gold right in the feeder. They've also got a full lineup of blinds and backyard barbecue pits grills and smokers as well and you can find it all at allseasonsfeeders.com all right uh well let's go ahead and jump into our discussion with our good friend james sellers of pulsar it's good being here gable how's it going oh it's a pleasure uh see last time you came to my studio today i'm here at the uh, cellmark headquarters in mansfield texas um Really exciting stuff going on as far as the Pulsar lineup. I guess in the last maybe eight, 12 months, we've had three um, really groundbreaking units hit the market. Uh, for a while, very hard to get your hands on. Right. Uh, so. I mean, there was a waiting list a mile long because people wanted these things. And I, I'll tell you, the first time I looked through the, the uh, Helion monocular, I was just blown away at uh, – I mean, I love the Apex lineup and the Quantum. But it's like wow! It took it to the next level. I do want to talk about the the Helion, um, the Trail, and the Core. Um, those are the three new lines that uh, Pulsar has out. Why don't we go ahead and and start with the Trail? Okay. Talk about some of the the features that separate this from other units on the market, um, because thermal hunting is only going to keep getting more more popular as these units become more and more affordable because we go back like six ten years ago even uh you're talking like ten thousand dollars for this stuff right uh, now it's much more affordable for the, the average guy out there
5: yeah so uh first of all thank you for coming down to mansfield yeah. uh, we love having you here um and uh you're right it's been a very exciting year for pulsar uh the the, the trail the helion and the core um are extremely popular the response has been greater than we imagined um so we're scrambling and producing as much as we can <laughs> to keep up with it right and it's going to be a crazy ride uh this this fall um we're we're gonna we're gonna do the best we can the people that are listening to your show if they're on a wait list for one we're doing everything we can to take care of everybody um it's worth the wait yeah and um it has just been such a joy the uh I guess, starting with the trail, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about my personal experience with it. Sure. Um, I, you know, we, we spend years working on the technology and we work, you know, labor of love. And, you know, we always think about the guys that are going to go out hunting or have ranches uh, and the experience they have with it. And, you know, we spend all this time working on the technology side and, and trying to get, you know, the details right and the business right and make sure it's, it's where it needs to be in the marketplace and, and the performance and, and everything's right. So it's just it was great last week. I had a chance. We had some really good friends came down from Chicago, and they got to go hunt Uh-oh. with us.
0: Do they even like guns? Yeah, they they, they do, and I think yeah. with the laws there they have to leave now to use them. So <laughs> yeah.
5: it was really good to, to see them down here, and and this was their first chance to go hog hunting. And obviously, us in Texas and, and the folks that are in the South, we have lots of hogs. Um, you know, up north they have other type of you know more predator hunting coyotes and wolves and that kind of thing. So it was just really great to be down in Texas and hunting um, with some friends. And um, for them was the first chance they had to hog hunt first time they've ever used the trail. And I was out in the field. Um, we started, you know, the sun sun went down, but really didn't start getting set up and, and hunting until probably ten o'clock at night. And um, just kind of walking through my experience with the trail because it's like all those little details that you put into an engineering design development paid off in the field. Um, you know, one of the things that Pulsar first came out with, and it's it's their, their first ones that introduced, introduced it in thermal, was the idea of having a picture-in-picture display. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you've used it with oh, the yeah. Apex, right? Oh, yeah. That is just awesome. So we kept that, and we added it to, to the trail. So for the listeners that are familiar with that technology, um, you get to see, you know, the full... Big field of view, you can see you know all sides of your field that you're hunting at, and then you have this really high magnification, so you can place a shot with the hog. And you know we were shooting off sticks and we we're shooting 120 yards, and I can tell you that pitcher and pitcher, every time he fired with confidence, and it, it was always accurate, it was always on, mm-hmm. um, it was just awesome. And then there start when the hogs start running, <laughs> uh, you still have that wide field of view, and you get shot after shot. And you know the other guys out there, they get one shot and that's it. You know, and you're going get more shots, you get more accurate placement. Uh, with the trail than other ones, just with the the pitcher and pitcher. Um, the other thing, actually, have you used the trail yet? Oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I did.
0: Well, so I was on the list for a long time, but <laughs> I got it. That. But I'd already used it. Uh, hunting with our, our mutual friends, three curl out oh, in right. uh, Ellis County. So yeah. I had I had gotten to use that and play with the uh, the Helion as well. All so, right. So and now I have them each. So yeah, yeah. So we can kind of share notes here. Then, yeah.
5: um, you know, what would you think about the the clarity?
0: On- oh, amazing. So you know, like I said, I had the Apex for. Probably two years, put the trail on and it's like wow, you know. Yeah. And the apex was a great unit, but uh, this one, you know, it's the evolution of this technology. And and so a couple of things that stood out for me. Um, I really like the internal recording option. Yeah, that's um, awesome. That was kind of a pain with every other uh, thermal unit that I've ever used, and uh, so that's really cool. Uh, batteries, a lot more convenient, rechargeable batteries um, because.
5: Let's talk about that. I, I went the whole night without having to change a battery. Did That's you, incredible. Yeah. Do you have any issues with it? <laughs> no, 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 no. No. no it's, so, uh, yeah. So, you know. Was I it
0: eight-hour battery life, something like that? It's
5: eight hours in, in normal power mode. So we have the standby mode now on the screen. Did you use that? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. So Which is so cool. So, like, you know, you're, you're hanging out. You're waiting for something to happen. You're going to place a place. You, you hit one button. It goes standby mode, and you're not using very much battery at all. Yeah. So I have a feeling that we probably we hunted all night. We probably could have hunted another four or five hours before the battery pack ran out. Yeah, um, which is so sweet. In the early days, we were working with night vision, and you know this is back when 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 Gen One and Gen Two were kind of like the thing. And if you get the three four hours, uh, you're lucky. You know, yeah, that was like you know now it's so different. So that's one thing the pulse really kind of changed the game on. You can now hunt through a whole evening um, with one battery, and if you happen to have um, you know, a device using at the full charge, you, you have actually really quick battery swap outs. You know, they come in like quick cartridges. Mm-hmm. I haven't had to do it in the field because I right. didn't run out, but you have that option. So if you're going to go on a multi-day hunt and you don't have a chance to recharge, you're good. Just get a couple extra battery packs. Sure,
0: sure. Um, um w- And here's one other thing that I uh, was told about it. I don't know because I haven't, t- haven't hunted in bad, you know, poor conditions with the trail yet. I'm sure that I will. Uh, But I've sat in, you know, basically a sleet storm. I've sat in rain. I've sat in fog with other units. And, you know, it is what it is. Sometimes the clarity isn't as good. Uh, uh, Kevin was telling me that this one is a lot more element proof, I would say.
5: Yeah. Well, one of the things that, I mean, since Pulsar's dedication is making the best optics and the best clarity image, I mean, image quality is what it stands for. Mm So... When we look at fine-tuning the the sensor to the optics, we want to make sure that it performs best in different conditions. So there's there's actually three presets, um, you know whether you're looking for distance, um, if you're working you're you know, more in an urban type environment you're in deep woods. So um, that kind of automatically gets you in the game a lot faster. But one of the things we allow is complete control of that sensor for brightness and, and contrast. A lot a lot most companies don't offer that. Um, so you're kind of stuck mm-hmm. um, with that. We're able to get a much higher performance than other models um, that people really love. They're, the people are telling us are units they've used that are thousands of dollars more than the Pulsar and they find our quality much, much better. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a lot of fun too.
0: Well, let me ask you on a personal level. Are you, do you, when you're hunting, do you like the black hot or the white hot?
5: All right. So this was actually, it's
0: uh, all personal preference. Is,
5: and I, I, I had a, had to back down on my preference on this because I guess it comes down to your own uh, opinion. The the uh, guys we were hunting with, they like the the black hot, uh-huh. and um, because they say that it looks like an animal, and, and you know the, people want to see a hog, it looks like a hog, they shoot hog, whatever. I disagree completely. I think it's completely the wrong way to go about it. I like white hot because I just feel like you can you just it just pops out at you and you uh-huh. can really see what you're shooting at. I don't know what what do you prefer? Uh,
0: so I like to uh, use the white hot for detection. Oh, really? Yeah, for sure. Oh, for detection. And then sometimes you know I, I I feel like maybe you do get a little better picture when you turn on black hot. So it's more than that. But for sure when I so when I'm out looking through a field with the yeah. uh, the helion. I usually leave it on white hot and then sometimes I have the scope on on black hot yeah. so
5: a tip is you definitely want to make sure you, you pick a good reticle for whatever your preference is um, if you go white hot then you do a black you know, in the different type of reticle I'll get you good shot placement mm-hmm. um, well very cool um, what do you think about the menu uh,
0: so I haven't I haven't worked my way through all of the features you know it's sometimes you get equipment that it takes just to, there's a little learning curve there yep. it's it's user friendly um, and I've, I've seen other thermals where it's like if you don't read every every word in the manual, you're just, you might as well. It's like trying to understand Greek. So
5: I, guess I think that's a good point, though. I mean, you, you hit one button, it records. Mm-hmm. You hit it again, it stops oh, recording. Yeah. Um, you, know, you tap the, the screen display. You change the magnification. You don't have to mess with the menu if you don't want to. Yeah. Um, but that's actually a good thing about it. It's really easy to use and control in the field. If you want to go and do something fancy, uh, you definitely go in there and do it. Um, I don't know. I found that the uh,
0: I guess that yeah, I didn't have to work my way through the meeting yeah, <laughs> it was dude, just like it just, you, you can yeah. have
5: a hunt. You, you can shoot accurately and confidence at night. Um, now you've been hunting at night for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, anything you thought that you know, if you're the first time consumer shooting, you know, a trail or doing thermal hunting, is there anything that they need to prepare for? That
0: oh, so my dad has never hunted a day in his life. Uh, ever yep. he's gone, I think he he went on one duck hunt with me but he just took pictures he's a he's a bass fisherman, okay. so he loves outdoors loves hiking camping in fact we're going to New Mexico on a backpacking trip here in uh, two weeks and I have a mule deer tag and he's going fly fishing <laughs> so That's awesome. yeah uh, but I took him out with uh, with three curl and okay. so him and his it was him and two of his college. Uh, fraternity brothers, they're not big hunters either. They're just like, let's go. We want to, yeah, we want to go get some hogs. So I said, okay, yeah, we'll we'll set it up. And uh, no, it was user friendly enough for them where they got just a basic rundown and no problems for the entire evening. So really, I could say there's nothing to tell somebody that hasn't it's, used it. It's,
5: well, what did they think of the experience? If they've only hunted, oh, a day they were
0: or? they they want to go back. I mean, they're just like, I, I can't. We we had a hard time. The grass is really tall. They hadn't like right now is when they're. Uh, cutting corn, time. you know, yeah. and, and so now's prime time. We went a little early. Um, we did get up on r- one group of hogs, and my dad was the one I think who fired the most rounds. <laughs> did, he, did he do well? <laughs> yeah, he was like, I got my money's worth. Right, yeah, yeah. So,
5: well, I definitely think, uh, you know, if people haven't gone out hunting because they're concerned about the technology too complex or difficult, this is not the situation of the trail. No, no, no. You, you know, all. have a good hunt. Um, it is so different, though. I honestly. It's just wonderful. I love Honey and Night because everything just is different and things are just, your senses are more alert and it just, I don't know, it's its just cool. It's
0: like seeing the world it's in so a, awesome. a different way.
5: But to James, let's do this.
0: Um, I'm certainly enjoying the conversation and, and we still need to talk about the, I would say, more modern uses, not that thermal has been around that long, but uh, how I believe thermal is going to change the game in the future. And I'm not talking about the kill shot. I'm talking about different applications for uh, a monocular, like the Helion, for example, which I believe hunters are going to start using more and more while in the field. Uh, So we'll dive into that. Also, take a look at the new core lineup as well. A cool detachable and more modestly priced thermal optic and uh, that segment by the way brought to you by Sendero Seed Company, Texas premier seed company offering anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd check them out at SenderoSeed.com they've also got the Dr. deerback Buck Forge Oats or you can call my buddy Rob Hughes at one 610 seed today alright we'll be right back with more from Pulsar's James Sellers right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show
2: yeah, she's got a new dress on, she's feeling fine, could've been amusing. might've
0: been the wife, she's smiling at this one, hey, all. hey. Hey y'all, Cable here for 3Curl Outfitters, and whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision, under the cover of darkness, 3Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology, they hunt unlimited i mean just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you uh, they can do that as well check it out three curl.com to book your next hog hunt
3: Hi, i'm craig boddington i'd like to invite you to become a member of dallas safari club one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations as a member you'll receive game trails magazine a monthly newsletter and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities join dallas safari club an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org.
2: My marker, 595 just passed my window side. i didn't stop didn't wonder why just kept on driving Did the of Still raining, got one of my
0: all-time long. favorites there from jack ingram attitude and driving bringing us back on the lone star outdoors show powered by dallas safari club I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here with me today as we're about to continue our discussion on thermal imaging technology, how it can help you in the field. And I'm not just talking about solely the kill shot because there are other applications out there for both thermal and night vision use that I think will continue to become more and more popular uh, among hunters, especially as the price of these units continues to drop. So... With that being said, uh, we'll jump back into it here with Pulsar President James Sellers momentarily. But first, this segment brought to you by the Texas Trophy Hunters Association. Uh, sadly, the extravaganza in Corpus obviously had to be postponed this weekend due to Hurricane Harvey. But uh, TTHA wanted me to remind you they will select a makeup date. And that extravaganza will go off without a hitch at a further date. Um, Let's do a giveaway, too, because I've got some uh, Texas Trophy Hunter I Eat Venison bumper stickers and a Texas Trophy Hunter cap as well. Third person to text in the word trophy. That's trophy to 214-289-7807. We'll get you hooked up with the uh, impromptu Texas Trophy Hunter giveaway here. All right, well, let's get back into it here with James Sellers of Pulsar. Before the break, we talked in detail about the new trail Thermal scope, its capabilities, functions, what separates it from the competition. And I want to do the same for the Helion monocular, James, uh, because, man, I've got one now, and I'm going to be doing a lot of scouting with this optic coming up. Not not just in Texas, but in the backcountry. I'm taking it into the mountains in Colorado and New Mexico. And folks might think, man, is that even legal? Well, yeah, it is legal, especially if you're bow hunting. Um, it's illegal to hunt elk or mule deer, obviously, with a thermal scope, as it should be. Same with whitetail. Uh, but as far as scouting, I think it's going to be a game changer.
5: All right. So one of the things to talk about on that one is, you know, having a monocular is its interesting. In, in a lot of parts of the world, you don't go hunting without a thermal monocular anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like expected kit. Um, You got your binoculars. You got your thermal binocular. The reason for that is, um, if you're you're, you're any type of game, you know, you need to know. You have to have awareness. You need to know where things are, and it's actually a really good safety tool. You can see if there's any any people around. Um, You can see what's behind your shot, Um, and you just can't do that with with just day optics. Um, The other thing is, you're you're tracking an animal. You can see it from two thousand meters. So right. I mean, I don't shoot that far yet. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to tri- hopefully someday I to <laughs> shoot that far. But it's nice to be able to spot the animals and play in your hunt uh, that way. So um, definitely think it's a very needy kit. The Helion, um, you know, I actually... Um,
0: that is one of my... It's yeah. funny you say that. It's one of my favorite things. So... You shoot the hog you shoot into a group of hogs everyone shoots that first shot and then all hell breaks loose and just leads flying everywhere and then you got to have the monocular for the body count right. so you can recover everything that's been hit yeah. ones that are wounded and slowly getting away you go knock those down so yeah. uh, absolutely important part of the of yeah. the whole system
5: and we found you know you know we had thermal rifle scopes but you don't go you don't want to look through a scope to, to find a down animal I don't think um, no you so don't yeah, we found a couple. We covered a couple that, uh, it's interesting, even though the shot placements were good, the hogs in Texas are tough. Oh, yeah. And uh, we had a couple that ran at least 100 yards, 200 yards away um, after the fatal shot. Um, they're just tough that way. And and having the the thermal for tracking was great. And Uh um, the healing definitely did a good job. It has a lot of the features that you'd find in the trail, just not weapons mounted. Right. Um, The other thing, I think if, you know, a lot of times it depends on on whose land you're hunting on, you know, how many guns they allow, what the lease rules are. Um, If you're out with a guide, a lot of times they'll, depending on how the experience the hunters, they might only let two or three guns um, shoot at one time. But having a couple of those extra around, you know, if if you're doing guided hunts, Bring a couple extra thermal monoculars. Let the people kind of see what's happening. They can be your eyes for you. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's amazing when we're thinking that we're coming a- across animal in one direction and then somebody spots animal in the completely wrong direction. So right. it's nice to have a couple extra observation pieces. And um, I've heard some really great uh, stories about the Quantums, which is uh, one of um, also Pulsar's product from last season, people using it uh, to go to and from the deer stand, um, getting an idea where the deer are and stuff, waiting the sun to rise. So...
0: Um, yeah, it's a perfect tool. Yeah, and it—I mean, because that way you're not blowing the deer out. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think this uh, since this and everyone's product, done that, you know, walking to the deer stand, all oh, you hear that snort wheez, and you're like, dead God, yeah. Well, what's what was out there? Now yeah. they're gone, That's and true. now you're not going to get to shoot them. <laughs>
5: That's true. Yeah, because you scared them off. Yeah. So I think um, you know the uh, the Helion is brand new product. Uh, everybody is excited about it. everyone using it, you get great feedback. Um, you know, there's gonna be a lot of them out in the field this year. And I think, uh, I can't, can we see all the videos? The great thing about all these, you know, the Helion and the trail is all the video people are getting, you know, yeah. It is awesome to see. And it's fun to, it's fun to see, uh, uh, the one that got away too so it gives reason to go back out in the field
0: right right um, okay let's talk about the core which is uh, slightly different because th- in, in in a good way because this is a different option uh, mm-hmm. if you want to keep your daytime optic say you, some guys only have one rifle that's fine okay now you've got a unit that you can attach to the front of your you know your traditional rifle scope take it off use it as a monocular slide it on when it's time to shoot so very versatile unit and price point is uh, pretty affordable
5: yeah and you're right it, it is you know it's lightweight compact It's uh, it's got the same great image um, it's very easy to operate um, it's in some ways uh, just foolproof as far as just you get attach it you're ready to go we do have a dedicated mount option mm-hmm. as well I think the, the attachment version is interesting because you know, you could go to one state where you, you can hunt at night you know, in environments, um, whatever and, and is legal. But you go to another state and you're not supposed to, but you want to use the same monocular to go spot your, or you want to convert it to a handheld unit, you want to use it to spot game, or you want to use it to recover game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's awesome. And I think one of the nice things, the core specifically, um, and just, you know, helium, I, I guess, as well, that monoculars are so useful for, uh, people trying to find things. If you're a farmer, you have an animal uh, that that is in distress or caught in a fence. Um, you know, search and rescue people are using it to find people. Um, so it's not only being used for recreation; people use them for hunting. Like but it's also authorities
0: safe. use them to find fugitives and yeah. and also like illegals trying to get across the border. It's
5: true, we've seen some videos of pulsar products uh, <laughs> down in the border and Rio Grande down here. And it's nice to know that our products are also out there protecting people and keeping people safe.
0: Uh-huh. Well, so okay. As far as expanding outside of Texas, obviously, this is the number one marketplace um, in the United States, I would assume.
5: Yeah, you know, I think it's definitely one of the biggest. But man, everybody all over the country, even places you don't think that there's a lot of night hunting, they still are buying the monoculars just out there spotting. We Mm -hmm. get stories from every corner of the country. Um, But the South, with the hog problem in Texas, uh, being from Texas, you know, um, definitely is a huge market. Um, But, you know, even I'm from, I was born in Michigan. Right. Uh, we won't folks. hold that against you. So. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the Michig- Michiganders, man, we're hardcore outdoorsmen too. We, we like to hunt. And um, they started liberalizing the, the outdoor and uh, the night hunting. So uh-huh. now um, they're able to night hunt up there. And okay. um, So you're seeing more states getting on board. Um, I mean, they're a game over population issues, different differences state to state. Uh, but really night vision is becoming seen as a tool to help balance uh, overpopulated areas and different type of games. So I think you'll see more and more. Um, need for uh, thermal and uh, more states that come on board uh, wanting recreational use and also good for the tourist tax revenue
0: so. yeah well okay so and just my own personal take on on the hog pop problem is there's really only three ways to try to get that under wraps like if you're really serious I like to go hunt them for fun mm-hmm. Yeah, they tear up my dear lease from time to time and they're a pain but I'd rather them be there some folks, farmers, they don't want them there. Right. And so you can either shoot them out of a helicopter, you can trap them, or you can use the thermal. I mean, yeah. those are your options. Then because you just me or you them. going out there with a sitting at a corn feeder with a traditional rifle we're sure. shooting one hog. We're not doing the landowner any favor. That's and that's true. why pe- people want to complain about, oh, well, landowners are so greedy. They yeah. won't let me hunt hogs on their place for free.
5: Yeah.
0: You're not doing them a favor if you're shooting one hog, yeah. well, you know, once every two or three weeks. That's doing nothing. They're taking the liability of letting you on their land. Now tell them you have a thermal scope, and then you, you might be able to show them a little better results. Yeah. Change the game. And you absolutely. might get some more access. And so,
5: I, I think there's a couple things, too, with this, you know – Hog hunting in general, I, I know that there's some farmers out there that are, are actually getting some good revenue uh, working with people to take hogs off their land um, and helps limit the damage to crops. It's cool, but um, you know, there's a, a lot of folks that like the hog meat. And, mm-hmm. uh, oh, it's delicious. If, if we can get more, uh, I don't know, this is kind of going to the legal side, but I think you have all this, re- this resource. I mean, we have an abundance of hogs. Um, it'd be really great to see if we can get more of that hog meat used, in, in whether it's animal feed or uh, human consumption. I know there's a lot of FDA and mm-hmm. laws around that. Uh, so one of the things I'm advocating is, you know, let's try to get more of that meat approved um, and make sure that we're harvesting it. In, in well, hell, we way. ship it all to Europe. So yeah. it's
0: it's good enough for them, but it's right in our backyard and we can't, we, you know. Yeah.
5: So I, I know there's some limitations how it can be used now. And, and um, you know, anyway, let's see what we can do to get more of that utilized. And, and then that would get more people taking them if, if they knew that they could sell the meat or eat the meat. Um and uh there's some hogs sausage man is to die for uh it's so good so
0: yeah okay well uh where can folks go uh Pulsarnv.com is the is the website
5: right that's the corporate site mm-hmm. and uh our our products are, are not, i mean all the major stores um you can find it in uh, gainer mountain actually just put an announcement they're adding it at the uh Fast pro have it available um, a lot of places have it available online like optics planet optics planet Planet's a great place to oh. get optics they do such a good job um, and uh, you know i think uh, they have a great assortment of pulsar products um, great support um, yeah there's a lot of good places and if you get a local store um, near you that carries pulsar um they're you know gonna be authorized working with our team so you know that you're getting it from good people oh yeah um,
0: and and if you order at uh, from the pulsar website use the promo code lone star and you'll get a nice little discount there so Very cool. but we we've been pushing that but no one's been able to use it because they're like they don't want to wait that they don't long want to wait. yeah so i know you guys have to get take care of your dealers first obviously so uh, that makes total sense but it is a nice discount so y'all check that out uh, promo codes lone star uh, i encourage everybody to uh, to check out the trail the helion and the core uh, because I, I truly believe uh, for, from someone that's been hunting with thermal for about a decade this is, it's game changing.
5: Yeah, it's great. And get more of your friends and family that haven't hunted at night before out there with you when you do it. Uh, we all got to do our part to get the, the next generation hunting. Yeah, so we gotta absolutely.
0: Well, thanks, James. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
5: It good seeing you again. I hope to see you again soon. All right, brother. Thank you. All right, there he goes. James
0: Sellers, president of Pulsar North America. And a little more information. I did call. Uh, Because I want to go back to using that thermal in the backcountry to spot the monocular, the the new Helion. Um, I did call New Mexico Fish and Game, and uh, it's totally legal, especially since you cannot mount the Helion onto a weapon. So you're safe there, uh, and it's not night vision, so it's not like you're looking through like goggles or whatever. Um, And then if you're bow hunting, which I'll be doing in Colorado, um, it's also legal my understanding, uh, called and left a message with Colorado parks and wildlife. So I'll follow up on that front, uh, here and uh, hopefully next week I'll have an answer, but I don't see how, and, and I'm not saying, I mean, it is a little weird to say I'm taking a the thermal monocular, uh, to help me find game at nighttime. I don't know that it's unethical though. Um, it's definitely new technology, But, hell, we've been implementing new technology. I mean, hell, years ago, folks balked at the idea of a compound bow, and then everyone started shooting compounds. And then the compound guys said, no, we don't want crossbow guys hunting during the regular archery season. It just always continues to evolve. So I think this is the next evolution in uh, scouting, anyway. Uh, Cool stuff on that front. Uh, Thanks again to James for dropping by. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. So, thanks to our other guests as well, uh, Todd Barker of Costa Sunglasses, and also uh, Tom Mormon, a chief scientist for Ducks Unlimited. I uh, also want to say thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. We wouldn't be here without their support, and we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you guys and gals tuning in. So, thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors.
2: Honey, don't you be yelling at me when I'm cleaning my gun. I'll wash the blood off the tailgate when deer season's done. We got one more weekend to go. And I'd like to
0: kill one more